last, we have good news for buyers, and it has nothing to do with the market or interest rates. Buyers, it turns out you are the most popular kid in school. Because it doesn't matter if there's a lot of homes for sale or there are just a few homes for sale. Doesn't matter what the inventory is. There's no market without a willing and able buyer. Now, if you've heard the other podcasts or you've read uh, in my blog post, you know I don't like to use the term buyer's market or seller's market because it implies that the market it favors one and not the other. And so for the last five years, we've been talking about you know what a great seller's market it is with the implication being that it's not a great time to buy. When in reality, if you had bought in 2013 or 2014, yes, you'd actually be doing quite well right now. Because yes, home values were up in 2013, 2014 compared to where they had been for the previous four or five years before that. But they were at the beginning of uh, what ended up being a five-year trend in the upwards direction. In this episode of Real Estate for the Rest of Us, we'll talk about one of the most frequent questions that comes up. Where do you start the buying process? And it may not be where you think. And in pro tips, whether you're buying, selling, or just staying put, tell you how to improve your financial outlook, your mental health, and add value to your home all in one fell swoop. All that and more coming up right now. This is Real Estate for the Rest of Us. It's the podcast with more cowbell. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. Welcome to Real Estate for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Mike Duran, and big congratulations to the St. Louis Blues. 52 years in the league, their first ever Stanley Cup. I've never been so happy for a team that wasn't mine. Right after the All-Star break, these guys were dead last in the NHL. Not last place in the Western Conference, but last place in the entire league. And they come back, make it into the playoffs, and then uh, win it all. What an amazing story. Congratulations, St. Louis Blues. Uh, great series, too. Uh, Boston Bruins were awesome, but uh, St. Louis was the better team. And uh, what an amazing story for them. Congratulations. Before we get into how to get started in the buying process, I want to share with you an article that I came across in the last couple of days. Uh, is from Bill Gassett. He is a realtor out of Hopkinton, Massachusetts. And he's also a prolific blogger. If you're on Twitter, definitely give him a follow. He is, uh, I think his handle is Max Realty Exposure. And even if you're not in Massachusetts, there's still a lot of great content that is applicable to you no matter where you're at. Um, definitely worth the read. But I want to share with you an excerpt from an article that he uh, posted just the other day. It was a blog post called Frequently Asked Questions by Home Sellers. One of the questions was, when should I sell my home? I'll read this to you verbatim here because I uh, just for context. When should I sell my home? This is one of my favorite questions from home sellers. Why? I will always answer honestly while most agents will always say right now. It is still easy to spot an agent that gives advice based on what's best for them. And that's the part that stuck with me. Uh, if, you'd, uh, if you've listened to some of the past podcasts, um, you know that I've talked about um, agents that give advice uh, that is great for them. Like, uh, you know, hey, the market's doing great. You should sell your house, which doesn't make any sense if you don't have any equity in your home. But that was it was the last sentence in there that really stuck with me. It is still easy to spot an agent that gives advice based on what's best for them. And that is the difference that sets apart an agent who is a professional 
versus an agent who's just in it to make a quick buck, the more of the, the caricature, if you will, of what a real estate agent is. And one of the reasons that I started this podcast is the majority of my colleagues, the, the majority of people that I work with, aren't like that. They aren't they aren't that caricature of, you know, hey, I want to get the quick sale or anything like that. There's a statistic that is fairly consistent. I don't have the most recent number, but um, at least in all the time that I've been in Vegas, that number is pretty consistent. Of the new licensees that come in, 80% of them will not be in the business within the next 24 months. 80%. So 80% of new licensees are no longer in real estate after 24 months. And then when you go out five years, that percentage gets even higher of those those 20% that made it past the first 24 months. The, the percentage of agents who end up staying in the profession is very, very small after five years. So you get a lot of new agents out there, new uh, licensees. And I think that, I, I think sometimes it just comes down to bad training, bad mentoring. Um, you know, they're, they tend to be uh, excited, which is great and eager. Uh, and that maybe that can come across as very aggressive. But um, again, that was, uh, that was the part I wanted to leave with you is just uh, that line. It's still easy to spot an agent that gives advice based on what's best for them. Anyway, if you're on Twitter, check it out. Bill Gassett at Mass Realty. And if you are on Twitter, I'd love to connect with you as well. You can find me by my handle at Welcome Home LV. All right. So you're ready to buy a home. At least you've made the decision that you want to start exploring buying a home. Or maybe you've already decided that you uh, you definitely want to do it. Well, congratulations. And if you've already started looking, there's no right or wrong answer. This comes up all the time is, is where should I start? And... Uh, and I, I don't want this to be like a philosophical throwaway that, oh, there's no right or wrong place to start. I just don't want you to feel like you messed up if you've already started looking. But this comes up all the time and is probably the number one question I get from buyers, especially new home buyers is, um, or first time buyers, I should say, uh, is where do I start? Well, the first place to start is not to talk to a lender, which is what uh, we often say as agents, before you talk to a lender, there's a step you should do that, and that is run your credit. And you can do this for free. Uh, you, you can, well, you can actually do it for free online. You can go to annualcreditreport.com. That'll give you the, uh, the, the big three credit bureaus. And uh, you can get it for free. Every 12 months, you uh, are entitled to a free credit report. And even if you're paying cash, your first step should still be run your credit. And what you're looking for isn't how great your credit is or how bad it is. You should still have an idea um, of how good or bad it is. But what you're looking for are any anomalies in your credit. So uh, they're coming up in your credit report. And basically, if someone has stolen your identity, um, so you're looking for any red flags, but you also want to look for any anomalies that are in there uh, or specifically any incorrect information, and especially if you're going to be borrowing. So before you talk to a lender, run your credit. You're going to look for any um, any mistakes that are in the credit report. And look, by law, you are entitled to a report that is 100% accurate. So if there's any inaccuracies in there um, that, uh, your, that a creditor has reported incorrectly, then you definitely want to address that. You have the right to do that. 
and uh, they must fix it for you within 30 days. So give yourself a little bit of time, but again, run your credit first, and if you see any problems there, if you flag any problems, um, contact the credit bureau with, you'll need to have uh, documentation. So like, uh, let's say that you made a credit card payment and it was reported late and you know for sure that it wasn't, um, just go get a caught, go back to uh, your credit card's website, send them a copy of the statement showing that in fact it was made correctly. Uh, keep in mind that a lot, a lot of the, um, the credit reporting is automated. So it's not like there's a human being that's sitting there, you know, writing this stuff out. A lot of it's automated and mistakes do happen. And like I said, you are entitled by law to have a credit report that is 100% accurate. So um, companion to that, if you will, um, a lot of credit card companies now uh, and banks are offering free credit scores. So you can check your credit score as well, but your credit score, not the same as your credit report. Um, obviously your credit score is based off of a uh, large part off your credit report, but uh, check your credit score if you, you know, for a little peace of mind, at least have an idea um, of what your credit score is, but absolutely first step, run your credit. All right, step two, you probably already guessed, you're gonna to speak to a lender. Uh, more specifically, you're gonna to speak to multiple lenders, which is what I highly recommend. Uh, don't just talk to one lender, talk to a couple. And you're not just shopping for rates, you also wanna compare fees because uh, every lender is gonna have their uh, their standard fees to, to close the house. Um, I wrote a blog post recently about standard commission, that there's no such thing as a standard commission, it's negotiable. Well, the same goes for the mortgage industry. Uh, there aren't standard fees, they they may have fees that they typically charge, but everything's negotiable. And if you talk to more than one lender, um, let them know that right up front. Just uh, let them know that you're interviewing uh, lenders and um, you you know you're, that you're not just shopping rates, but you're looking for the best overall um, overall package and it lets them know that um, okay they they might want to you know that they may need to be aggressive then on their fees if you especially if you have great credit and if you've been on the job for a while and um, and you have great credit and you've got a decent down payment uh, you are the type of buyer borrower that they're looking for and if you fit that profile then yeah, absolutely shop around and um, don't be shy don't be shy about asking uh, about their fees and what things um, you know that they can be aggressive on, and it is helpful if you're you know talking to more than one lender and you have something to compare to, something that they can uh, that they can compete against. Now, the other thing that you're doing while you're interviewing lenders is uh, you also want to see who's the best fit uh, for you, and you know different lenders they're um, they have different personalities and um, you may find that you really work well with a particular lender that they take the time to answer your questions you might be the type of person that you already have your information and you just need somebody who's going to be aggressive uh, on pricing or it might be that you need somebody who um, can give you a little more service so you know see who feels like the best fit you may come down to two lenders that are very close um, as far as fees go and maybe they're offering the same interest rate and it could very well just come down to who feels like the best fit. Now, when you're talking with lenders, uh, also be candid too. Be candid about um, you know, what, your, uh, you know, what your income is. You don't wanna fudge anything. Be honest and just remember that you are working with a finance professional. Uh, it, what you tell them is confidential and um, you know, like I said, be candid with them. 
they are going to counsel you um, if it makes sense to to wait uh, like two months, three months and uh, pay off a credit card or save up a little more money. A good lender is going to counsel you. A good lender won't hesitate to tell you to uh, that, you know, it may make sense to wait a couple of months because you can pay off a credit card or uh, have a little more in savings when you come in and that that will make you a stronger borrower. All right, step three. Now that you've chosen your lender or you've select kind of narrowed it down to one or two lenders, you're going to need a pre-approval letter. And most uh, most lenders, after they've gotten you, um, you know, pre-qualified, they'll write you a pre-qualification letter. Um, but you, at the very least, want a pre-approval letter. Now, I'm not saying that if they give you a pre-qualification letter, you know, that you throw it back at them and be like, you know, take take your your peon pre-qualification letter. You know, that's not good enough for me. We no. Uh, if they give you a pre-qualification letter, great, but have them work on getting you a pre-approval letter. And so what's the difference between the two? Well, the pre-qualification letter, uh, as you may have uh, already surmised, isn't uh, isn't difficult for them to produce. Um, essentially, they're running your credit. They're just making sure that you're, um, you know, they're, they're basing it off of the information that you've provided, but they really haven't verified any of it. So they can give you a pre-qualification based on what you've told them, but they haven't looked any deeper than that. And when they uh, do a little more digging and investigating uh, and confirming, uh, then they can give you a pre-approval letter. And the pre-approval is the minimum that you want to go out with when you're writing an offer. So when I say that pre-approval is the minimal that you want to go out with, that's because there's something even better. And you probably recall that what beats pre-approval? Full underwriting approval. So talk to your lender about doing full underwriting approval. I'll give you a heads up. Uh, if you were working with a streamlined mortgage company like um, you know Quicken or any of the online ones that have those online portals, they typically will not do uh, full lender approval. The, the best you're going to get there is generally going to be a pre-approval letter. Uh, they'll give you pre-qualification almost instantly, which is the nice thing about it. You can start shopping, you can write offers, uh, but your offer is going to be a whole lot stronger with a pre-approval. Um, so you're working with a local um, broker, you, you know, a, a real human being that you can see face to face they will oftentimes give you full underwritten approval. So what's the difference between that and uh, pre-approval? Well, the full underwritten approval is essentially they've uh, already gone through, they've verified your documents, and assuming that nothing changes, uh, i.e., you know, you don't lose your job or, you know, your income stays the same, then nothing changes between that full full written approval and the time that you close on the house, you're, you're going to get the loan. So there aren't any surprises with a full underwritten approval. I have won uh, multiple offer situations uh, against cash offers by having a full underwritten approval along with the offer. So um, if you are working with a lender, definitely try and get that full underwritten approval. Ask them about it. Uh, generally speaking, you know, like I said, the lender at the very least is going to give you uh, the approval, the pre-approval letter, uh, which is great. And you, you can definitely write offers with that, but uh, you'll be even uh, in an even stronger position with a full underwritten approval. All right, cash buyers, are you still with me? Awesome. Thanks. Uh, well, listen, if you're if you're paying cash for a house, uh, that's great. And you'll hear all the time that cash is king. 
Well, you also need to do an important step and you need to make sure that your cash is readily available. So uh, if you already have it on hand, awesome. But if you need to, if you're gonna be paying cash because you're selling something, whether it be uh, stocks or you're selling an asset or whatever it is, you need to make sure that your cash is available and that it's liquid because the other thing that you're gonna want is what we call proof of funds. So I'm not a big fan. Uh, I, I, for, so for proof of funds, you can go online and, and you go to your bank account. And if you're um, say say you're going to buy a three hundred thousand dollar home and, and you've got three fifty in your uh, in your bank account, great. And you can make a copy, uh, just a printout of your uh, bank statement, and that's sufficient. Of course, you want to black out um, all of the sensitive information. But at the very least, you need to have uh, your name on it or you know something that identifies that account as being you and on the same page, the account balance. But what I like better than that is to get a letter from your bank. And if you uh, you know if you're lucky enough to still bank at a place uh, that still has a teller, you know where you can walk in, um, I, I my personal banking is with Chase. They started converting all of their their banks into, uh, I don't know, like ATM centers. Um, but there's still human beings in there. And if you're able to um, go and talk to somebody that sets up the accounts and just ask them to write you a letter um, stating that your account balance is, um, you know, in excess of, you know, X amount of dollars. And so generally these letters, um, the way that they read, they'll be on bank letterhead and it'll say that on uh, such and such date, you had an account with them in good standing that had funds in excess of, and then whatever amount you tell them um, that you want it to be. So if you have $500,000 in the account, but you're buying a $300,000 home, it's not necessary to tell anybody or a potential buyer that, or excuse me, potential seller, that you have $500,000 on hand. All they need to know is that you have enough money to purchase the property as well as sufficient funds to cover your closing costs. And then finally, the letter will have, uh, obviously, the, the name of the person that wrote it. Um, they'll sign it and they'll include their contact information so that when the proof of funds is submitted with the offer, the listing agent can contact that person and just verify that it's legitimate. Um, not every listing agent will do that. I like to do it, um, but, uh, you know, not everyone will, but in any case, they will need to have their contact information on there at the very least. Okay, so now we figured out how we're gonna pay for uh, for our big home purchase. So what's the next step? Well, feel free to start looking. Um, you know, most people start their search online. And when I say most people, the latest polls show um, upwards of 95% of buyers are starting their search online. I actually think 95% is pretty low. Uh, at least for me personally, 100% um, of my clients start their home search online. So uh, I, I know there's other outlets that are uh, other ways out there. There's still home magazines, but for the most part, those have kind of gone the way of the dinosaur. Uh, just expect that most people are starting their home search online. So you can start your home search, um, you know, look at realtor.com. Um, Zillow has a great interface. Um, there's some other home search websites that are out there, but really realtor.com and Zillow are the big two. Um, my personal preference is nothing against Zillow. I know there's a lot of anti-Zillow sentiment amongst, amongst agents. I'm not one of those agents who hate Zillow. I, I don't love them, but I don't hate them either. They're just another uh, player in the game, if you will. Um, but realtor.com, 
gets their information in real time. So when I update the MLS, if I if I have a listing on my end that I update, it's updated um, within like two minutes at realtor.com. So uh, virtually no delays. Zillow uh, is not perfect. Uh, the information in the MLS is syndicated to Zillow. And um, there's I, I've had a few things here and there where I've had to go back and, and fix. They're not major. But uh, again, if we're just talking accuracy and timeliness, I personally like Realtor.com, but that's neither here nor there. Just use the one that you find the most, the one that you like the best. That's the one you should use. If you like, if you like Zillow, great, use Zillow. Now, at the same time that you're doing your search, you should also be interviewing buyer's agents. Uh, I know that there's some people that uh, would like to avoid using a real estate agent for various reasons. Maybe they had a bad experience with them. Uh, maybe they had a great experience with them and they just feel like they can do it alone. Whatever the reason is, I highly, highly recommend that you work with a buyer's agent. Now, if you had a bad experience with a buyer's agent in the past, don't use that agent again. Not you know, We all have different personalities. We all have different ways of doing business. I always recommend that you speak to at least two or three different agents, and um, you know, and interview them, and, and go with whoever feels like the best fit, and have your interview questions ready. Uh, I'm not going to go into the whole um, how to find a, a, a buyer's agent right now. I'll just tell you, just kind of hit on a couple of highlights. One is that there should be an expectation of what services that they have available. So if you already know what you want, and you uh, just need someone to write up the offer, then let them know. Um, if you have a, if you're going after a home that uh, is going to need to be negotiated, great. Talk to them about their negotiation skills. Um, you may have found the perfect home already, and you just need someone to write the contract and represent you. But whatever you do, I highly, highly recommend that you always use a buyer's agent, and even for new construction. Um, always have representation. You would not walk into court without an attorney. Don't walk into a large transaction like this without having representation. That's what a buyer's agent does. They represent you in the transaction. Now, I just wanna get really candid here for just a second because one of the big things that I always hear about not working with an agent is, well, that person's gonna get a big paycheck and they didn't do anything for it. Look. If your agent isn't doing anything, you've got the wrong agent. So that's not a real estate agent's job. We're not tour guides. Um, we, you know, we're not here just to open doors and, you know, uh, and then collect a, a commission because we wrote a contract. We're here to represent you. We're here to make sure that the contracts are done correctly so that you are not incurring any future liability. And we're here to walk you through the process. That's what a real estate agent does. And those are the things that should be very apparent in the interview. And if you're talking to an agent and they're struggling to really tell you what it is that they're doing through the process, that's probably a sign that you need to move on to a different agent. And then the other part of it too that you should be asking is cost. Now generally, uh, and this is another huge reason why you should work with buyer's agent, usually doesn't cost you anything. And it doesn't cost anything with an asterisk. It doesn't cost anything in commission because the commissions are generally paid by the uh, by the seller. Okay, so the seller pays their listing agent. The listing agent splits their commission with the buyer's agent. That's how it works. Um, 
So in commission, it generally doesn't cost you anything. There are some states where um, it's traditional for the seller to pay their agent and the, for the buyer to pay their agent. Still, I think that's money well spent, but talk to the buyer's agent, see what the costs are gonna be. Keep in mind that most brokerages though do, call, do um, charge a transaction fee, and this is separate than a commission, and it's the fee that goes to the brokerage. And, um, and those costs vary, so talk to your agent about it, whether they charge a fee and how much that fee is, and you may find that it's um, just a kick in the pants. You may find that it's very expensive. You may find it's expensive, and that agent is worth every penny. So talk to them about the services. Talk to them about um, what the fees are gonna be. And these fees, by the way, these brokerage fees are separate from your closing costs that you'll pay to title company or if you're in a state that works with real estate attorneys, um, you know what you'll pay your real estate attorney. But definitely find out what the buyer's fees are gonna be upfront, but I highly, highly, highly recommend that you not walk into this huge transaction and start signing your name uh, on a document without having representation. All right, I wanna share uh, something with you that has nothing to do with real estate, but um, we finally have undisputed scientific evidence that climate change is caused by man-made activity. And specifically, I just ran my car through the car wash and there was not a cloud in the sky and one hour later, thunderstorms. There it is. I, seriously, I live in Southern Nevada. We get less than four inches of rain a year on average. And usually most of that arrives on the same day. The last, I don't know, five, six times I've washed my car, it's rained like later in the day. And we're talking days that had no rain in the forecast. I gotta imagine that it's my fault. So I apologize in advance, uh, Southern Nevada, you're welcome because I'm helping to end the drought apparently. Uh, but if it turns out that my activity does cause the demise of Western civilization, well, then I feel bad for that. But I want to make it up to you right now. This is pro tips. There is something that you can do right now. Well, okay, after this podcast, after this podcast, there is something that you can do that will not only improve your mental health by reducing stress and anxiety, but it'll help you add value to your home. Purging and decluttering, they're two separate things, but they go hand in hand, and they have been shown in study after study to reduce stress, to reduce anxiety, and improve your mental health. Now, if you're looking to buy, this is one of the things I tell buyers all the time, is start purging because you don't wanna pay to move stuff that you don't need. Uh, you know, And then you don't wanna waste any time packing stuff that you're not going to need for sellers. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you'll hear this all the time from agents. Declutter the house. It shows a whole lot better. But if, whether you're buying or selling or you're not moving anywhere, this is a, a lifestyle change that I that I wish I had started doing much, much earlier in life. And uh, for me, this is something I started doing uh, about 10 years ago. And about five years ago, I got really good at it. And it's just about having less stuff. And when you have less stuff, life just seems so much easier. There's less laundry to fold. There are fewer things to put away. Uh, I know for me, part of what helped was my kids got a little bit older. So instead of a whole bunch of Legos lying around, you know, we have one iPad to, uh, to pick up. I'm not a fan of the KonMari method of purging, which 
you're probably familiar with this. You uh, hold an object in your hand, and if it brings you joy, you keep it. And if it doesn't, then you uh, give it away or you throw it out. Uh, you know, I, I've got socks that don't bring me joy, but I need those socks. Now, KonMari is not bad for going through a shelf full of things that, you know, you're not using every day and uh, maybe some things uh, have some nostalgia to them and maybe so there are some other things that are just getting free rent in your house. Now, for me, one of the hardest parts about purging is where to start and it can seem very overwhelming and especially if you have a lot of stuff, uh, especially if you have a lot of old stuff or you haven't been through closets in a while or they're just jam-packed. Uh, for me, what I like to do is to take everything out. So just focus on one room at a time or maybe one closet at a time or you're just going to focus on your dresser. But if you're in, uh, say you're in the, your bedroom, take everything out of the closet, um, you know, put everything in the middle of the bed or, um, you know, put it on the floor or wherever it's easy to organize and then just start putting things back in that you know you're going to keep. And the things that you're not going to keep, I would quickly just put into a pile. Some of the stuff is going to be very obvious that you don't need it anymore. Or you're not going to use it anymore. Just put it into a pile. And the things that you think that you might actually still be able to use, like uh, you might use it within the next year or something like that, put it in a different box. Okay, put it in a different box, label the box, tape it up and stick it back in your closet. And if you find that you haven't used it or you haven't missed anything that's in that box, like in the next two, three months, then move that out to the giveaway pile as well. Similar process in the kitchen. Uh, I like to empty out all of the cabinets. Just if you have a kitchen island, great. Put them all on the island. If not, put them on the countertops. Uh, for me, that was a whole lot easier because one of my pet peeves is having clutter all over the countertops. So I like to get those as clean as possible. And I, I just like looking at a clean kitchen. It doesn't mean that my countertops are completely devoid of everything. They just have the necessary things that are there. What I did find with the kitchen though is uh, you probably have a lot of the same things. Uh, mismatched glasses, mismatched plates, stuff like that. I ended up um, getting rid of all of my my chipped plates and you know some of the stuff that was just uh, old or I had a couple from you know one move and I had uh, you know other plates from another set. I ended up just buying a new set of plates so that everything matched. I got new glasses and now everything matched and all the old stuff went to give away. And yeah, it still had a shelf life on it. It was still useful. And that was the best part of giving it away is I wasn't getting rid of things that were just junk. I was getting rid of things that somebody else can use. CDs were another easy one for me. My entire music collection is on my phone. Uh, I don't need CDs anymore. So if you uh, if you still have some that you listen to, great. But uh, you know we have a CD player, but that's it. Um, everything else is through the music library. You know we're we use Mac Apple products, and so we have a lot of things. You know everything's on the iTunes library, and we've got the family plan. But we can broadcast the music throughout the house. We can't do that with the CD player unless it's just you know the CD player's on and the music's cranked up. So we don't listen to CDs anymore. So that was really easy. All the CDs have gone away. Um, the next one was the DVDs. And if you're like most people, you've switched over to streaming services. So we didn't need the DVDs anymore. And since we didn't have the DVDs, we didn't need the DVD player. And we still have a handful of, of DVDs, 
but those can easily go uh, can be played, uh, you know, like on an Xbox or a PlayStation. So you don't need to have a dedicated device any longer just for DVD. But um, just about everything that we have now, all of our media is digital. And I love just having that little tiny Apple TV box instead of, you know, an entire shelf that's dedicated to, you know, CD collection. Paper is another one. I could do a whole separate podcast on going paperless. I went paperless about seven years ago. Uh, I'm self-employed. I, you know, have been for, uh, for the last 11 years. And I just, I hate having to store papers in real estate. We're required by law, actually the broker's required by law, but I still like to do it. We're required by law to keep uh, all of our documents for seven years. Well, that's a lot of paperwork that's just laying around. All of mine is digital. All of our uh, real estate documents, uh, our digital signature, um, perfectly legal, <laughs> perfectly legal, acceptable in every court in the land. Uh, uh, you know, and I use Dropbox, which is great. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm on an Apple platform, so uh, there's on the uh, the Dropbox app. It has a built-in scanner, so those times where I do get uh, a paper document, I can use my phone and just scan it in right there, and then it automatically syncs to my desktop. And just not having the paper clutter has been amazing. And just having a clean desk and sitting down at a clean desk, I feel so much more productive. And I haven't changed a thing. It's just changing the uh, your your environment and not having that clutter and chaos around you. Speaking of papers, Fourth uh, of July, I think, would fell on a uh, Thursday this year, right? So uh, a lot of people took Friday off, and uh, we spent our Fourth of July not getting out of town. No, we're self-employed. We spent ours cleaning the garage, or I spent it cleaning the garage. Jennifer was smart. She grabbed a huge bin of papers and she took them in, and I believe that this bin. I'm talking about a tub, not like a bin. Doesn't even do it justice. This is like was a huge tub uh, of papers. And I believe that they were all files that came out of one filing cabinet that we got rid of. And we just hadn't gone through and sorted all of them. So she spent uh, the better part of a day going through. And if you can envision uh, a large filing cabinet, let's say like a three drawer filing cabinet, you know, you got to store it in the closet or whatever. And we got rid of it. So these were all the files that were inside. And out of Everything that was in there, then this huge tub of stuff. I'm talking like a Roman-sized bathtub here, full of papers. There was when she, by the time she was done, a banker's box that I took to Staples to be shredded. Those were the only sensitive documents that were in there, and almost everything else was recycled. The vast majority of it, I I think that out of that huge like just been of old statements and old papers and mailings and stuff like that, that there was only, uh, I don't know, uh, like maybe a ream of paper worth of documents that, uh, that were kept that needed to be refiled, but everything else was just taking up space in the garage. So that I, I got to tell you too, taking that banker's box to staples to be shredded felt really, really good. And we absolutely love having uh, reclaimed that space back in the garage it's awesome pulling into the garage and having it very clean and organized um, and we're not done we still have more things to to get through but uh, it feels like we made a huge step 
get, you know, get just jumping in and doing it. If you have kids, as I mentioned earlier, my kids are older now. Um, I've got two teenagers and uh, we don't have, uh, you know, Lego toy sets any longer, you know, big toy sets and tons of Legos. We've got uh, devices and, um, you know, my son has soccer equipment. It's a whole lot easier to, to keep together into one, you know, in one place. Uh, but the toys don't take up any uh, any room any longer. Those have all been given away. So those things were much easier to purge. All of the uh, the clothes from when they were little uh, have all been given away. Again, those things were a lot easier to clean up. You know, one thing I did find too, while I was doing going through this purging phase and going through all the closets and cabinets, I was finding stuff that I forgot I had, which has saved me money because we ended up having like, I, I don't know, like five Windex bottles. <laughs> you know, I haven't bought glass cleaner in, in forever because we haven't gone through them all. Uh, and most of them were at least three quarters of the way full. Uh, but, you know, cleaning supplies, those were able to be consolidated and um, and put into one spot. And so as we've gone through and, and purged closets and made more room uh, in the shelves, it makes it a whole lot easier now to declutter because the things that are being kept that have been left out on the countertops now have a place inside the cabinet and at the very least they're just not in view any longer and so we have certain things that we still need you know there's cables for devices and stuff like that that now it's just easier to put them into a basket and that basket can now be put away inside the entertainment unit so now it's hidden from view and it's not out whereas before that same space was holding uh, a whole bunch of CDs that weren't being listened to and DVDs and things like that. So it's it's just, it's so nice to be able to open the closet door and not see it jam-packed full of things, but instead to have some order to it that I don't have to shove shirts aside so that I can hang uh, clean laundry. Anyway, I, uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of uh, just decluttering, purging, decluttering, and just having less stuff having what i need and not anything more than that uh, i did write a blog post about it if you want to check that out for additional information and additional tips on how to get started with the purging and again not talking about minimalism here i'm just talking about having less stuff but you can check out the blog it's on my website at welcomehomelv.com blog the article is called finding zen with less stuff that sounds so blissful already, doesn't it? Look, I I am really, really excited for you. If you're going to start uh, purging and decluttering, I'm telling you, it, it will change the way that you feel about your home. And I did also add in here at the, at the beginning of the podcast that this can add value to your home. So from a, a, a purely financial standpoint, yeah, absolutely. One, uh, like I said, I found all kinds of things that uh, we know that we don't need to buy anymore because we have plenty of them. Um, but two, just having a uh, a decluttered house, your home will show better if you're getting ready to sell it. It does show better. It does add value to your home because your house doesn't look like it's jam-packed full of stuff. When it does and people are opening closets and they see things that are jammed in there, it's telling them that there's not enough room in your house. There's not enough room for them for their stuff. Even if there is enough room, that's not the visual that um, that's being communicated. So it can build, it can absolutely add value to your home 
in that regard. And for you Gary V fans um, that are listening, I, you probably know he's really big on the garage sale thing too, where he likes to go to garage sales and, and find um, things that have, uh, I think he usually looks for things that will have some sort of um, nostalgia uh, value to it, if you will, um, some classic toys and things like that, that he'll turn around and sell online. And this guy's a millionaire and he, he's gets excited about paying, you know, $3 for something that he can sell on eBay for like 60 bucks. But the, what's kind of gotten lost in all of his garage sale thing that he was doing is that actually he was suggesting to people that, Hey, look, if you need $200, $300, $500, Start going through your closets and go look for the things that you don't need anymore and get rid of them. I know personally, I'm not a Craigslist fan for selling things. It seems like there's too many weirdos on Craigslist, but I have had great luck with Facebook Marketplace and the things that I have sold that we haven't given away. um, We just put on there pretty cheap. I had a wet saw that I used for one project. I paid $90 for it at Lowe's. And had I rented a wet saw for that project, it, it we probably would have spent like $150, $200 in the rental because it's not just the wet saw, it's the wet saw plus the blade. So I, I ended up just buying one uh, at Lowe's. I spent $90 on it. We did our project. And then when I was done with it, uh, it was in great shape, didn't get a whole lot of use, but I didn't need it anymore because I'm not a tile installer. So we put it up on uh, Facebook Marketplace for $45 half of what I bought it for and it sold like, you know, within two hours. And so somebody else is getting the use out of that wet saw. Uh, If I remember correctly, he just was doing the same thing I was doing. He just wanted to do it for one project, although he was smarter than me. He spent $45. I spent 90, but uh, in any case, like I said, I, I spent 90 bucks on this thing. I sold it for 45. I I got half of it back and I came out ahead because it was still a whole lot less expensive than had I rented one. But uh, used Facebook Marketplace, and it's uh, it's a great tool, and it's kind of nice too because you can screen people uh, that are coming over. They're not total strangers. You at least get to glimpse their Facebook profile. So recommend that over uh, Craigslist if it's an option to you. And that will do it for this episode of Real Estate for the Rest of Us. I hope you found the, the information useful. If there's something you'd like to hear on a future podcast, You can contact me by email, mike at welcomehomelv.com. You can also find me on all the socials where I would love to connect with you. You can find me by my handle, welcomehomelv. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Duran, and this has been Real Estate for the Rest of Us. (laughs) 